Good morning. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Lamed Aleph in Maseches Tainus, which would mean that we would be finishing Maseches Tainus and tomorrow beginning Maseches Megillah Bezrat Hashem. Beautiful to have gone through this beautiful Masechta together with you. But we will start with the penultimate Daf in Maseches Tainus, Lamed Amud Bez, the two dots, where it says, Amar Rishim Gamliel, La Yuyomim Tavim Leisrael, Kechamishasar Baal so, since we uh, have a shorter daf, maybe we could savor some of the history here. Uh, the, this is the end of the very first and also the very last Mishnah in the fourth paragraph of Mishnah because we know Mishnah those last prakim, the Mishnahis, are not broken up. They are in the Mishnahis, but not in the Gemara. Uh, and so we finish on a high note, right? The Yomim Tovim. So amazingly, the two biggest Yomim Tovim are Yom Kippur, which we don't usually associate with the biggest Yontiv, and which not everybody has ever heard of. So what is it? So first the Gemara asks, I can understand, right? Ironically, it's Yom Kippurim that we understand why it's the greatest Yontiv. Why is that understandable? So you'll see the Gemara really brings two reasons, but it doesn't break it up into two reasons. It makes it sound like it's one reason. So you break it down into two reasons and then put it back together as follows. The first thing is you get your slicha mechila. That's a magical thing, right? Um, I always say, um, this is just a harebrained theory that I have. My uh, uncle, Avi Haber, is, uh, he, right, he's a secular Israeli in, uh, in um, Israel. And he's like the Stanley Kaplan. Remember Stanley Kaplan? Like the prep tests? Guys, so he's the Stanley Kaplan of Israel. Like his face is on buses in Israel. He prepares people for what's called the Bagrut. And even though he's a secular Israeli, he like writes the Tanakh Bagrut, right? And he writes, he's the brains behind the operation and his wife, Aviva, is the business uh, mind behind the operation. So she's the one that gets him the contract like with the jails and with the army and with all the different high schools. Okay, and they built high schools, it's a whole thing. But he's the brains, he's like, he's really more of like a scholar. He likes to write the tests and the prep stuff. So he is a secular Jew, but he knows Tanakh inside out. And so we spend the Shabbos together. He says, David Melech. And he starts saying all these negative things because he's reading Pashapshat and the Psukim, right? Uh, and he's saying, What are all these Averas? Now we learned early in Mesechus Brachos, Kola Omer, right, that David Melech sinned, Eino Elotoe. You need the Torah Shabbat Peh to explain. But what I always thought, was that you need to see, right, everybody's human and everybody makes a mistake. Suppose somebody makes a mistake that it's a really a stain on their soul, right? Sometimes the Avera is so great or is, so, is, is reflective of something that's really ugly in the person's makeup, and you think, how could you come back from that? And then you see David Amelch, the greatest, right? David Amelch, Chayve Kayam. He also has things, right, and it, that, that, that make, you know, make him not perfect at all, or at least on the surface so. And yet we see that Akash Baruch Hu, as we've already seen a few pages ago, right? We were learning Masechus Tainus here. So before now we got to the happy days, we were talking about, right, all of the, all of the Tanayim and Amaraim, some of them had Schuyas, some of them didn't have, have Schuyas. And really Hashem listens to two things, sincerity, 
right? And when a person is sincere and a person is really crying out in an authentic way, and also authentic, well, really boils down to sincerity also in repentance. When a person is actually repenting and is approaching their mistakes in a truly sincere way. So this is what David HaMelech teaches us when we see in Tehillim and we see all the different ways that David HaMelech did a sincere tshuva, that should really be assigned to everyone and anyone that they too, right, are capable of tshuva. And that is what we see on Yom Kippur. So anybody can enter Yom Kippur with a feeling that they're going to get slicha mechila, and that is a happy, truly happy, miraculous day indeed. Because the opportunity to get a fresh start is the simcha. That's number one. And then the Gemara says, Yom Shin... Did we say a couple of ago that it was also it was on the Shaduchim? The Shaduchim is a Tuba Av. We're going to get to it. There was Shaduchim or... Right, no, so the Mishnah, Max brings up a good point. The Mishnah makes it sound, it depends on how you put in the, the, the syntax of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, right, and then it talks about the women going out and doing the Shaduchim. But I don't think that that happened on Yom Kippur. I may have even said that, I, that I, but, but it's breaking it up. I don't know if that actually happened on Yom Kippur. It's probably just describing Yom Kippurim and the Gemara is explaining that we assume that the Simcha on Yom Kippurim is tied to the Slicha Mechila. And the Shaduchim, which we're going to soon describe, that is actually what goes on on Tu Be'av. Okay, so that, that's, that is a way that you could have read the Mishnah without the Gemara. That there weren't days, right? Because the, the Mishnah makes it sound, the, the happy days were Chamish Tuba Av and Yom Kippur, and on both of those days, they went out and did the Shidduchim, but here it's, uh, it clarifies. Okay, so back to Yom Kippur. Shem Kippur, Mishim De'isbe Yislicha Mechila, and Yom Shinisnu Bo Luchos HaKronos. Right, the second set of Luchos were on Yom Kippur. So you have this long Rashi, Yom Shinisnu Bo Luchos HaKronos, and it takes it to you down through the history. Now, it's a little bit complicated. Tosfos ends up saying that you need to have Elul have been a, a mole in order for the numbers to work out. But the numbers more or less work out because on Shivasa Ritamuz, right, um, you go, Moshe came down and broke the first set of Luchos, right? And then he goes up and he goes and, and he, and he uh, grinds up Right, the Egel, and then he goes up and he stays there eight, how many days? So we say a 40 days, right? But it's really 80 days, right? Because it was 40 days he was Bitfila. And then, right, another 40 days from there, right, um, right, that's how, that's how, um, Rashi's, Rashi explains that that takes you to Rosh Chodesh Elul. And then from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur is another 40 days. Right, so that's basically uh, the idea of how from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur is how you end up knowing that when you came back down with the Luchos, it was the Yom Kippur, and that is what the story was, why it was a happy day. Now, getting back to what we were saying before, the Gemara says, because of Slicha Mechila, and it was the day that the Luchos HaAchronos were given, the second set of Luchos were given. What Rashi explains towards the end, is V'oso hayom nikma layom kippur lehodia shemachal v'nichem al hara asher diber la'asos la'amo. V'alkein nikma tzom kippur ba'asar b'tishrei kach shamati. You see the end of that long Rashi? What is that saying? It's an interesting thing. You might have thought that the luchos, the second set of luchos were given on Yom Kippur because it is an auspicious day 
for Slicha Mechila, right? Because it's already Yom Kippur. But Rashi is explaining kind of the other way, that we realized that Yom Kippur was an auspicious day because of the fact that that's when the Slicha Mechila was completed in the form of the second set of Luchos. And in other words, we had the Avera, we asked Salachti, right? And then, and again, the numbers, you have to, you have to work out with Rashi and Tosfos how the 40 days and then the second set of 40 days fall out from Shivasa Batamas where the Luchos Rishonos were broken up until Yom Kippur. But be that as it may, we see Yom Kippur was so established, so we right, assume, rightfully so, that it's because Hashem said so. And that's obviously true. But we see that we, it makes it sound like that's why Hashem said so. That there was some sort of reciprocity where the day was nikba to teach us, right? That that is a day because that's the day when we got the luchos, that's the day we should always congregate to ask for slicha mechila because it is the most auspicious day in the calendar to get the slicha mechila. And in, in that sense, these two things that are two things are really the same. So when the Gemara says it like it's one thing, it really is combined. Right? The fact that we got the Luchos Achronos teaches us that it's a day of Slicha Mechila. And therefore it's really, right, all Hainu Hach, as they say. It's all intertwined, and that is, in fact, a happy day indeed. So it's one of the, it's one of the two happiest days in the year. Good? So that's Yom Kippur. Now the Gemara goes on to uh, discuss Max's favorite day of the year, Tuba'av. Says the Gemara, Ela Tuba'av Mahi. What happened on Tuba'av? So for that, we're going to have multiple things that happen. Amar Rebuda, Mishmuel. Now, we're going to have multiple things brought down by multiple sources, multiple, right, Manda Amars, but as Rashi explains, they are not, and the Mepharshim explained that they are not um, disagreeing with one another, right? They are just all adding on uh, together. They all agree that all of these things happen on Tuba'av. This was not Rashi, but the art school, uh, according to the Rashbam in Baba Basra, okay. Fine. So, yeah, so as follows. Amar Yehuda Amar Shmuel, the first reason. Yom Shehutru Shvatim Lovo Right? That was the day that the Shvatim were allowed to intermarry amongst each other. What's going on with intermarrying amongst each other? Well, let's tell you the backstory. The Gemara asks for the backstory. How do we know? My Darush asks the Gemara. How do we know that? Because like this. The Pasuk says, Zehadavar Shetivashem Livnos Slav Chad. Okay, he commanded the daughters of Tzlavchad, lo yenoeg So what's going on? As follows. So we know B'nos Tzlavchad. They're kind of famous, right? So what happened with B'nos Tzlavchad? Andrew, you want to tell everybody the story? The, their father died. Their father was like the Makoshish Eitzim, right? According to the Gemara's that we learned, perhaps. Right? Their father died and, they, and he had a sin. Whatever the sin was. The fact that he sinned is mentioned by Mnos Slavchad. They approached Moshe Rabbeinu and, they, and the father died with no heirs, no sons, only daughters. And of course, Mnos Slavchad lived in the door of the Midbar that was entering Eretz Yisrael. So as the Torah recounts, Mnos Slavchad go into Eretz Yisrael and they, com- they say to Moshe Rabbeinu, what are we going to do? We're going to lose our nachla. We'd have no nachala. Everybody was very fixated, rightfully so. They're about to enter Israel. Their legacy, literally and figuratively, was going to be the land that their family is going to inherit. Well, dad passed, and now these girls have no land. So they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, we would like to have a chalik in Eretz Israel, which was a uh, that, and also 
right, when the, when Kalei Yisrael wanted to do Pesach Sheni, these were such things that Hashem did not initially, right, uh, declare, and yet, when they approached Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu brought the matter for, to Hashem, Hashem was uh, very impressed, right, Hashem thought this was a good idea, and that Benos Slavchad should get the land. So this is a very, um, right, this is a very famous episode. What perhaps is less famous is this Zehadavar Shetziva Hashem Livnos Slavchad was uh, in Bamidbar, Perak Lamed Vav. What happened was Le'emor, Latov Be'nehem Tiyena L'Nashim, Ach L'Mishpachas Matea V'yem Tiyena L'Nashim, which is as follows. <laughs> the Bnos Slavchad's Shevet, right, came up, right, and they said, um, well, we're not so happy. When they entered Eretz Yisrael, then their own tribe kind of sold them out. What do I mean? Well, they realized that they're going to have the land. Now, once the Bnos Slavchad were given the land, the other members of their Shevet were not so pleased because they said, now when they marry, by definition, if, if they marry whoever they're allowed to, they might go marry somebody from a different tribe, which will effectively take the inheritance of the tribe and diminish it, right? The whole point is that every Shevet is supposed to have their land, and they're supposed to, right, stay, they're supposed to have a certain amount. And it was a big deal who got what, right? It was a big deal who got how much land. And so the Shevet as a whole was very concerned, right, that they wanted to have, right, their Shevet was very concerned that they wanted to keep it within their own Shevet. So therefore, when the, when the Bnei Tzlafchad got their land, their Shevet was concerned, and they approached and complained to Moshe Rabbeinu at the time. And when they went to Moshe Rabbeinu, they said, right, please don't let them marry outside of the tribe, because if the Bnei Tzlafchad marry outside of the tribe, we're gonna, our inheritance is going to be diminished. And that, too, was, was uh, considered a good idea. And, and Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, that, that, that we can make, we can make that uh, deal also, which means that Slavchad, albeit the inheriting the land, even as females, even though they were able to inherit the land, they had to marry within the Shevet. And sure enough, all of the five Slavchad married their cousins because they didn't have a choice, and they had to marry only within their Shevet, right? And this is all said... Spell that in the Psukim in the Chumash. It says that they married, right, the sons of their uncles or whatever, otherwise known as their cousins, and they, um, and they therefore were able to keep it in the tribe. Now, this would mean that whenever women going forward would inherit, so, so now you learn to, to halachas of inheritance, that whenever women uh, are the only heirs, that they do get, in fact, inherit the land, but it restricts them tremendously as to who they can marry. And so that was decided when it says, this is the drush of the Gemara saying here now, as Rashi says here, in other words, this idea was limited to the generation of Bnos Tzlavchad. That's what the Gemara means. It says, In other words, when they darshaned at the time, now, what does this have to do with Tu Be'av? It's a tradition. It's a tradition that that drusha was about, uh, well, the, the tradition that this took place on Tu Be'av. Okay? We don't have any 
uh, logical connection to Tu Be'av, other than there's a tradition that was on Tu Be'av. So it's interesting that that's the uh, tradition, that that's, that was the day that, that they were told that they could marry within the tribe. Okay, and it's, it's just interesting to me that that's the first, that that's the first thing that they mention, mentioned because we don't really know necessarily that that was the day. Be that as it may, that's our tradition, that that's the day that decided that going forward, women, yes, can inherit, and the order is as follows. If somebody passes without heirs, so first, well, if somebody has heirs, if they have sons, first it goes to the sons, then it's going to go to the daughters, surviving daughters. That was a chiddush, that they go next in line. If there's no sons or daughters, it'll go to the brothers, and so on and so forth, right, and then, and then back uh, up the chain. Okay. So that was a big chiddush that the daughters are right after the sons, and yet the further chiddush is that beyond the generation of those entering Eretz Yisrael, where the chalukas arts was going to be decided, they can marry whoever they want, right, from whichever shevet, and that really what uh, opened up a lot more. It solved the shidduch crisis basically for women who were inheriting their father's land. Okay, fine. So So now um, that's that was Rabbi Yehuda Mashmuel. Amar of Yosef, Amar of Nachman. Yom Shehuter Shevet Ben Yamin Lava Bakal. Oh, so also on the fifteenth of Av, we have another similar idea. The entire Shevet Ben Yamin was restricted to only marry each other because the rest of Kalal Yisrael had decided. We're going to discuss the history behind this a little bit. The rest of Kalal Yisrael had decided that they're not going to marry anybody for Shevet Ben Yamin. We'll explain why shortly. But be that as it may, that was only limited to that generation. Again, it's, uh, it's a similar, it's, it's in Sefer Shoftim, okay? So it's shortly, as we'll see, after some, some of the people that were in this story had been in the Midbar, as we will see. So it was really like just the next generation. Shanamar, what does it say in the Pasuk? V'ish Yisrael, in Shoftim, V'ish Yisrael, nishba b'mitzpah le'emor, ish menu lo'iten b'tol v'nyamen le'isha. There was a swearing in the mitzpah, right? The overlook, we'll see, that none of us will allow our daughters to marry somebody from Shevet bin Yamin. And from that, we, that was something that was sort of set in stone. And the Gemara says, my darush. So what was, what was the drusha that they took out of this? Amarav mi menu, right? Ish mi menu lo yiten bitol binyamin. Mi menu meaning, mi menu velo mi banenu, that that, incredible decision that we're not going nobody's going to marry anybody from Shevet bin Yamin was limited to that generation but going forward you can marry from Shevet bin Yamin so again we have only uh, less than half an Amud of Lamed Aleph so we can we have the time to explain some background here okay it is the crazy story of Pelegish Begiva Pelegish Begiva was a story um that wasn't, that wasn't great. You know, we already have seen, uh, and we will see, um, the kingdoms um, of Binyamin and Yehuda broke off from the 10 tribes, as you might know, okay? From the re- remaining 10 tribes. And the remaining 10 tribes um, and the kingdom of Binyamin and Yehuda were at war a lot. We had a lot of civil wars, if you read Navi. And one of the civil wars was all of Kal Israel against Binyamin at a certain time. What happened? A very unsavory story. This is Perik in Shoftim, Perik Yud Tet and Perik Chaf, two chapters that describe the following story. A man from Beis Levi is going through, uh, going through, uh, he had a Pelagish, 
That's why it's called Pilagish Begiva. <laughs> he had a concubine. And she goes back, it says Vatizneh, she, whatever it is, which means the Rashi there explains, the Lushan is that she basically kind of like left him and went back to her parents, and he's going to retrieve her. Fine. On his way back, he stops because he has to stop in the middle of, the, of, of his travels, and he stops in the territory of Binyamin. And the territory, the people in the territory of Binyamin, and as we will see, this is shortly after their entrance into Eretz Yisrael, the territory of Binyamin decide that they're not going to host him. He cannot find a place to stay, Andrew, right? This is, uh, this is a weird behavior. What makes the behavior even weirder is nobody allows him to stay, but one man comes out of nowhere. He's really not from the Shevet of Binyamin. He's from Shevet of Yehuda. And they see him coming from the fields. And he says, oh, we shouldn't sleep in the street. That's horrible. Come, Abimachnis Orchem, you could stay with me. And wouldn't you know, the tribe of Binyamin, they're banging down the door in a Lashon almost identical to the Lashon of the Anshe Stom in the Lot story. They're banging on the door, bring out the guests, bring out the guests. And the host acts like Lot in the Lot story. He says, well, I have, I have a basula of a daughter. I have this pilegesh. I can give them to you if that's what you want. And you can have your way with them. Just crazy biblical times, Andrew. I don't know how to explain these things. And so the people of the Shevet of Binyamin basically violate this pilegesh all through the night. This is what the Navi says. And she basically, basically she, she dies. At which point, this man who went to retrieve the Pilegesh is so incredibly uh, angered. I don't even know how to, how to say it, but he's so disenchanted, it really doesn't, doesn't capture it. With Shevet Binyamin, he chops her up into 12 pieces and he sends, or chops her into pieces and sends a piece of her flesh to each of the tribes as a package explaining this whole story, right, with a message. This is what happened to me on that night in the tribe of Binyamin. At which point, a Kali Israel decides they're going to kill Sheva Binyamin and they're going to wipe them out in what essentially is a civil war. Now, before they do so, they ask the big Kohen Gadol, the big uh, leader, to ask the Urim Vatumim if this was a good idea. Who was the leader? None other than Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akoin. Okay, the very same Pinchas who had the bris shalom, who put the spear, as you remember, is still in, right, uh, in, a power, in a leadership position. And he asked the Urim Vatum, and wouldn't you say, the Urim Vatum say, yes, go fight. And Sheva Binyamin is almost decimated, almost decimated, almost wiped out completely, but not completely, but almost wiped out. And a decision is made, we are not going to marry any of our None of our daughters will marry anybody for Shem Binyamin. It's ostracized, okay? You read the Navi, and these stories are unbelievable. Anyway, that was decided at some point, we have a tradition, on Tuba'av, that that was only in that generation. But going forward, you can marry from Shevet Binyamin. And now you know the rest of the story, okay? So, fine. Now, a third explanation why is Tubab such a great day? That was the day that they stopped dying in the Midbar. So again, we have we <laughs> this we could read every every Gemara in such great detail, but the background here, we could see, since we have the time, we could talk about what this is going on. What does one thing have to do with the other? First of all, what does it mean Kalubo Midbar? So Rashi explains. 
that every, every year, there's a brysa. Every year of the four, how many years were we in the desert? 40 years. But if you'll notice, we only talk about, in the Chumash, a very small segment of the 40 years. We talk about like the first like year or two when we get the Sefer Torah, when we get the Sefer Torah, when we get the Torah, right? We get the Luchos, as we just mentioned, right? When we have Maimad Har Sinai. And then at the end, when we have, and then we have the Miraglim, right? And the Miraglim, it was a terrible situation. We were supposed to go into Eretz Yisrael, and now we're wandering. After the Miraglim, now we're wandering. Not really wandering a full 40 years, right? We're wandering the, the balance, because the total amount that we were in the desert was 40 years. So we were, so we're really wandering the balance. During those first few years, it was already Cheta Egel right away, and Cheta Miraglim. All of that was like right in the beginning. And then we don't hear from anybody. It's like everybody goes dark in the desert for like 38 years, and then we hear about them again at the end, right, when we're about to enter Eretz Yisrael. So this is why it says, Well, guess what? During this whole, we feel it when we read the Torah, because all this time that Loa Yadibur and Moshe, we don't hear from Moshe, we don't hear from nobody. We, it's, they go dark, okay? But it really means Loa Yadibur and Moshe, as Rashi, the last Rashi in Lamed Amun Beis says, Right, it does says Vaidaber. So what do you mean Loya Dibur and Moshe? It means that he saw it at night, like the way other Nevi'im always see it. We always say that only Moshe Rabbeinu, we've already learned this, only Moshe Rabbeinu has the Nevuah of Aspaklaria Meira. Only Moshe Rabbeinu has the clear Nevuah, like talks to Hashem like a colleague, so to speak, right? So here, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, as it turns out, went through a long period where he did not have this aspaklaria meira. He did not have this clear line of communication, but rather like most other Nevi'im, begim gom and velayla, right? He has to fall asleep. He can only be at night. It's sort of like a clouded kind of vision, not the full clarity. That was the majority, the overwhelming majority of the time in the Midbar. That was the level of Nevuah that Moshe Rabbeinu had. But leading up to that, he had clarity. And all the time that Bnei Israel were dying in the Midbar, uh, that they were sojourning and, and meandering around, right? They were actually, he actually was in that state as well, okay? Where he was like a, so to speak, like the other Nevi'im with Gimgum. But then he came back once they stopped dying um, in the Midbar. He came back to the Yichud and the Chiba, the kind of collegial right relationship, so to speak, with the Aspaklaria Meira. Now, so we see a lot of, this reverberates. This is why this is such a happy day, right? Because we have uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is back in full, in full strength. That in itself is happy. But of course, because we stopped dying, what went on? So the Brisa describes, as Rashi explains, every year on Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'Av was the day of the Miraglim, as we know. And we already mentioned in the mission of the day that the first and second base of Mikdash were destroyed, etc., etc. Well, it all started with the Miraglim. Tisha B'Av, they would all go into their graves, as the Brisa describes. And then... Only the, uh, and then they would all go into their graves, and then only those who were worthy would get up the next morning. And that went on. So now, again, the Bryce says 40 years, kolar ba'im shana. So it's a little bit right, off, because again, there was a little bit of time, and it wasn't a full 40 years, 
right? But be that as it may, there's a couple ways to to resolve that that little extra issue. Uh, some say um, that the cheshbon would come from the uh, time that they started the uh, that from the time already that the Chet Egel took place, before the Chet Meraglim, it was already decreed that this was going to happen. That's one way to be Mashlim the 40, the, the 40 um, years. But be that as it may... It only gets you to 38 or so, right? Well, the Chet Egel and Maimad Har Sinai happened right away. But then you have the last, say, two years or a year when everyone, when all, when all the dying was done. Right, so that's the question. Did anybody die in the last year? This makes it sound like nobody died in the last year. Max is bringing out the, 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 the issue that the Rishonim have to deal with calendrically is, is it true that nobody died in the last year? It certainly makes it sound like they did, and then you have to be mashlim that extra year, uh, as he says. So either you say it's figurative and it's not a full 40, it's like, you know, just like 40 Malkas is 39 Malkas, you know? Uh, or you could say... Uh, or, or you could say that maybe some of them did die, but this means that we knew somehow that they were going to stop to die and that that was the decree, right? There's different ways that the Rishonim will explain to get out of it. Um, but you're right. The issue of how it's a full 40 is, is an issue that has several different solutions to it. But be that as it may, what did happen? So on the simple surface, as the Bryson describes, they went into their graves and everybody came out that day. Yet they thought, and here we do have more than just a tradition that it was Tuba Av, but we have a logic attached to it, which is that they went in on Tisha B'Av, and then when they saw that they didn't, that nobody died, they assumed they'd made a mistake in the calendar. And it wasn't until Tu B'Av, when you can clearly see, right, you don't always know 100% what day of the month it is, until you see in the middle of the month, for sure, you got that full moon. And when you got that full moon, it's unmistakable that you've reached the middle of the month. And therefore, it was on Tu B'Av that they realized no matter what we think calendrically, no matter how many mistakes calendrically we've made along the way with the moon, we know it's for sure no longer Tisha B'Av. So by Tu B'Av, you know it's for sure no longer Tisha B'Av. Once you know that, then you know that you no longer, for sure, nobody died in the Midbar that year, and Moshe Rabbeinu is restored to full strength. We, so to speak, have achieved a kapara, in a sense, for that, chet, that horrible chet Meraglim, and we're ready to move forward uh, from that sin. And so maybe all of it ties into that, right? Tisha B'Av, it could all, you could, you could argue, maybe homiletically, but you could, maybe it's the reality that you could argue that Tisha B'Av is the worst, right? That's, as we know, all the really, the, the calamitous, uh, things were Tisha B'Av. And then Tubav is the happiest day because we're for sure out of the woods and it's no longer Tisha B'Av. That's like a Yerida, so to speak, that we have, and it's a quintessentially Jewish thing, that we come out of our biggest hole and come out just as soon as we know we're not in our biggest hole, that is, in fact, on our way up, right? We can only go up from here. It's our biggest simcha. So, you know, whenever we say we stop dying, stop dying, um, we say the Lag Bomer, it's like when the Talmidim of Rabbi Kiva stopped dying. Stopping to die, they, there were no Talmidim left, Andrew. <laughs> Why is that such a big simcha? They all died. Right? But we have, in our tradition, like a really positive attitude about these things. Like, it can't get any worse than this. All of the Talmudim except for five died. So for me, was, we're only looking, we can only look up. You know? Some say that this is also the uh, Tu Bishvat attitude. We have Tu Bishvat. It's the middle, it's the dead of winter, right? It's the middle of Shvat, which is the middle month of the winter months. 
So what are you celebrating? You're celebrating like the blossoming. The blossoming isn't happening. Just the first sapling is coming in. So we grab onto optimism, right? We see the seeds of Geula. So, so when we see the seeds of Geula, we're already celebrating. So when they saw that they weren't dying anymore in the Midbar, they knew that the Geula was imminent. So we should look for every seed of uh, kiss from Hashem that we get. May we be zochah to see the seeds of Geula and the full Geula in its full bloom soon. Okay. Yeah. So, ah, Max's I, 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 Max's question is like this: the the entire generation, it was decreed. I, I, I had the same issue, and Max asking a brilliant question. I think I only think that because I had the same question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm biased. Everybody from the age of twenty to sixty, it says so in the Chumash Beferish. Everybody in this generation from twenty sixty is going to die. So, what does that mean? Did they die or didn't they die? If they all died, so then what's the, what's the big deal? Why is it such a simcha? And if they didn't all die, so then Hashem didn't fulfill his promise to kill off everybody from 20 to 60. Then it didn't happen. So I saw here uh, in the art scroll that in fact there were members of the generation that were destined to die. They had been from the 20 to 60 and that's why they were confused. Because they thought they for sure were goners, and no, they were spared. So there's a sliver of that generation that was in fact spared. Like Pinchas, right? We were right. There, there are people who in, into Sefer Yosho and Shoftim who continue. Right. There are people in that generation that, 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 that were able to continue. Pinchas ben Elazar, I don't know if he was more than 60 at the time. But the point is that there were people, generation, that according to some fortune, that's how you resolved it. Even though he said everybody in this generation was going to die, there was clemency. There was a pardon to some of the members of the generation, and so they thought that they were on death row, and then they were released and allowed into Eretz Yisrael. That is quite, you know, that was not the fate of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, right? He was not allowed into Eretz Yisrael, but they were, right? So that, that was truly a cause for celebration. So I'm, thank you for bringing that up, Max. Okay. So Shanamar Vayikha Sheretamu Kol. Andrew is like shaking his head. Are we going to really not finish Lamed Aleph? He's, I, I, I'm just torturing you because you were away last week. I'm punishing you. I'm sorry. But no, we're going to make it here. It says, So again, that's, Moshe Rabbeinu says, when all the men, when, when all the people uh, cease dying, right? Ooh, Finally, he's talking to me again. <laughs> right? So after 38 years of me getting this dark gimgum, right? Like other Nevi'im, now we're talking like colleagues again as a direct consequence, right? A cause, yeah, causality after everyone else died. Fine, that's explanation number three. Ula has a fourth explanation for why Tuba is so great. Ula Yom Shabitel Hoshia ben Ela Prosdios. Who's Hoshia ben Ela? That's his name. Hoshia ben Ela. He removed the Prosdios. He wasn't a great guy, but their Prosdios were, were obstacles, barriers. What was these barriers? The Prosdios Shehoshivi Rabban ben Nevat Haladrachim Shalo Yalu Yisrael Laregel. This is a terrible thing. Yeravan ben Nevat, as we discussed, the Two kingdoms had broken off. The kingdom, Yerav Menavat, was the head of Shevet Ephraim, which was the head of, right, the, uh, the ten tribes that were lost, ultimately. He wanted there, Yerav Menavat was a horrible dude, and he wanted there to be uh, no um, competition 
with Yehuda in order to ensure there'd be no competition. So again, just like we had the behavior of the Anshe Sdom with Lot in the Shevet Binyamin in Pelagish Begiva, here we have the behavior of Yerom Bedevat, the ten tribes. He did what? He set up temples with Egel Zahavs. Can you imagine? Like, it's a bad look, you would think. And yet sometimes it takes more than once to learn a lesson. And so he set this up. And not only that, but he put barriers so that nobody could do aliyah l'regel, right? A real hachis type of behavior, okay? And so, so Hoshea ben Elah, he was not like a Baal Tshuva by any means, but he at least gave people a choice. He said, you could daven to the Egel Azav, or you could go and be a Ola l'regel. So the fact that he removed the barriers, that was, in fact, a good thing. Ve'amar, as we arrive at Ya'alu. That would mean. That's what it means. What I just said that he said, even though he was wicked and he did evil things, he in fact allowed them at least to go to Eretz That's what Rashi is explaining. He wasn't. He was no picnic either. But he says that he removed the barriers, the prosdos, and he says you could go. So that's the, that reason. Of um, another reason. Right, the two be'av was with Aruge Bet Betar got a good kvur. However, Masne also Yom Shnit Aruge Betar lekvura Tikna be'yavne hatova ametiv. And that day, the right Chazal in Yavne, the Anshek Nesat Gedola, put hatova ametiv where in benching of all places. Why it was in benching uh, is 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 a good question indeed. But um, but be that as it may, that's when we thank Hashem. And when we thank Hashem, we tell him, we also thank him for the fact that the Aruge Betar, who died in the Bar Kochva rebellion, almost a Dafyomi coincidence, um, those people who passed in the Bar Kochva rebellion, they were there for a while, and yet Hashem allowed them to not, right, decay, and therefore Hatov Shelo Yisrichu, right, Hatov is for the miraculously didn't decay, and then Metiv, that not only did not decay, but they were able to have an appropriate proper burial. Now the final, sixth and final reason for why we have two Be'av is the one, um, is, is not the one that we saw in the Mishnah that they all danced together. But let's see, what was it? That was the day that they stopped um, chopping down trees for the Marocha, right? For, so the, because Rabbi Yezra Gomer, because as we said in the Brisa, at that point, and the 15th of Av, that's where it's the peak of summer. And at that point, the sun starts to get weaker. Right, in other words, that's the hottest, but at that point, it, it doesn't get any hotter. It only starts to get weakened. And therefore, you don't chop down trees anymore. Because you need the summer to start to be ramping up in order to properly dry out the wood. That's why it's the day of the breaking of the axe. In other words, it's a big simcha to no longer be chopping the wood at that point, you already stop. What's so? What's such, what's such a big simcha about chopping wood? Because it's it's an actual right. Uh, it's an actual completion of a mitzvah. The mitzvah is to chop the wood for the ma'aracha. Whenever you're able to do a mitzvah and see it to its full completion, right? Then you are actually uh, it's a cause for celebration. Just like maybe we would be zochet to finish Maseches Tainis today in a few minutes, and that would be a cause for a siyum, a celebration, would it not? So similarly here, the cause of the uh, completion of the mitzvah of the cutting down the wood, that happened on Tu B'Av. 
So the Gemara also cautions, he says, Mikan ve'elech, the Moisif Yosef. Um, at that point, you should know, once we're already talking about how to, uh, the, the sun, right, and the day is getting shorter, you should know that whenever the days get shorter, that means the night gets longer, okay? And therefore, until, un, from the 15th of Av onwards, when you add the Moisif Yosef, when, when nighttime hours are added, you have to add Torah to the length, but if you don't add Torah study to the nighttime hours, right? It's a Gersa issue here. What does it mean, Yasef? It really means you're going to die, right? Yasef is your bones will be gathered, gathered, right? Like we said in, the, in, the, in this week's Parsha. Amar Yosef, Tikbere Ime. A terrible thing, you'll predecease, which is to say, right, you better learn Torah at the nighttime. That is a skula, right, for life. To learn Torah in the nighttime. Okay, that's what we do, right? We're learning Torah in the, at the end of the nighttime. Okay, now the Mishnah finally in the two dots says, Shebehein b'nos Yerushalayim. So now we're getting on the two Be'av, that that's the day, right, where all what my father-in-law of Hashem said, Sadie Hawkins Day, right? That's the day that all the women come out and it's Shidduch Day, as Max pointed out. So what does that have to do, right? We just said six reasons and none of them were Shidduch Day. Well, that's not exactly true because the first two reasons were the, the Mutter Lava Bakal. So if Shevet Ben Yaman was allowed to marry everybody, right? And the the women who are allowed to marry anybody. So it is a propitious day for Shiduchim, right? Because you're allowed to marry everybody. And so we established a Yantiv accordingly that that should be Shidduch Day, right? In accordance to these first two reasons. Okay, so that's what's going on. And what do they used to do? Toner Rabbanon, Bas Melech Shalos and Bas Kohen God. Also, Bas Melech is like, right, the, the, the queen, the princess, that's the highest. And she borrows, everyone borrows from somebody beneath them so as to not embarrass, right? They don't want to embarrass girls from poor families. And so everybody, all the way up to the daughter of the king, is participating in this beautiful behavior where they borrow clothes from each other so that the poorest girls actually have, right, what to wear. So the Bas Melech is, is uh, borrowing from the coin Gadol's daughter. Bas Kohen Gadol, me Bas Gan, right? This Gan Kohen Gadol, as we described at great length in Maseches Yuma. So the Bas Kohen is borrowing from her. Bas Gan, me Bas Meshuach Milchama. As we described there, the, the higher coin, Kohanim, have this Gan Kohen, this coin, uh, the coin of Meshuach Milchama, who was the coin who was anointed, right, to let him know when to go to battle. Bas Meshuach Milchama, Bas Kohen Hedjot. Right, so you have like four levels of Kohanim before you get to Kalal Yisrael, to the rest of them. And then, V'chol Yisrael shalin Right, so the Kohanim have to be very careful of the hierarchy, and even when they do so, they borrow from the one who is a level below them, and then the rest of Kalal Yisrael is borrowing from each other. Finally, the Mishnah says, Kol HaKelem Tuin Tevila, what did that mean? We said in the Mishnah that all those garments would require Tevila. Amar Rabbi Lazar, Afilim Mikupalim Un Menachem those are garments that are folded and lying in a chest, which, uh, which means that they are definitely tahar, but similarly, just like you borrow all from each other so as to not embarrass each other, the state of nida, which would create the, bega- the tumah and the begadim, was also something that was not revealed. And we didn't want to say, oh, she has tameh begadim, she does not. So you just took everything, even if it was straight out of the package, so to speak, they would just tovel everything. So everybody had clean, tar clothes. Everybody was bar- had beautiful clothes that they borrowed from each other. And it was a beautiful achdus of Klal Yisrael, right, in this in this Shidduch day. What do the maidens of Israel say? Anybody who was single, would, would go, and they would find a Shidduch. 
What did the mission say there? The beautiful girls would say, Look how beautiful I am. Or look at beauty. Because that's what women are for. What did the ones from Yichus say, from the distinguished family? Right? Like the Shatchanim say. They, they talk about the positives. They say she has, she's from a Yuchas Dika family. So you think maybe, okay, so she's bringing out the positive. The Gemara doesn't, doesn't mince words. It says, what do the Yergle girls do? They say, Yeah, do it. But on condition that after marriage, you're going to adorn us with jewelry, which by the way, that Rashi explains, that you'll give us jewelry. And, and, and basically, once you give that that, Rashi says, uh, on condition that you give us, but basically some of the other Mepharshim say that once you give it that, then you're going, we're going to look beautiful for you as well. There's also a homiletic way of understanding that when you, that once you uh, love us, we will look beloved and beautiful to you. In the future, the most beautiful vision, Hashem is going to have a circle. A machol is a circle of tzaddikim around him. And Akash Baruch Hu is, is equidistant from everyone in the circle. Everyone's pointing equidistant to the circle. There's some people opposite them in the circle. And they're all saying, That on that special day, when we're going to see it soon, Everybody is going to know that wherever they stand in the circle, that's just their perspective. But everybody has the equal opportunity to be close to Hashem. Hashem is in the center because Hashem is a singular MS to which we ascribe. When we all be zoche to the day of, of Gan Eden, of full uh, happiness, and be a Mashiach Tzidkenu, Hadron Lach Mashal Shaprakim, Vestlikla Maseches Tainus, looking forward to continuing with Maseches Megillah, Bezrat Hashem, tomorrow.